Amen. Good morning, everyone. Praise God. Let's uh, let's thank God for the worship team this morning. Thank God for you. And uh, let's just jump right into uh, what we need to do today. Of course, we're in the series. uh, We continue our series, um, When Things Fall Apart. Um, And I want to start with the prayer of serenity uh, that we uh, started with uh, the first of this series. If y'all could read it with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Amen. So, uh, that prayer of serenity, like we talked about, you will find that prayer used in different recovery groups, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and many other groups. And it's a powerful prayer that's te- that teaches people, that shapes people to accept things that they cannot change, right? We live in a culture where we're constantly taught to control things, to be in control all the time, to have our schedule tight, to, have, to be on that clock every second accounted for, but there's just some things in life that we have no power over, no power to control. And so we're going to be talking about the five things uh, that we cannot change. And I want to, uh, we can put those five things up there. Uh, Things change and things end. We talked about this the first thing. Today we'll be talking about things don't always go as planned and life is not always fair. Pain is a part of life, and people will let you down. (laughs) Amen. Help us, Lord. Amen. So today, we're just going to get real about some things, and this is what this series is, is to be real. Um, This may not be, you know, the trendy thing that we see in church today. This may not be pop psychology or self-help, but one of the things about I've learned in my growth is that um, when you get true and you get real about things, this is when things begin to blossom and grow in our lives. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, and we'll start there this morning. And before I read, we'll just ask God to be with us, to speak to us, to take us into the story, and to learn from the story. Um, and to have our lives interrupted by the story and that our souls will be made good ground for God's faithfulness and fruitfulness to bring forth great fruit. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So when things fall apart, things don't always go as planned. Genesis chapter 37, I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Joseph was a tattletale. (laughs) 
Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Any of those that parent multiple children know how difficult it is to make everybody equal and not others to feel more favored than others. I'm sure some of y'all can identify with that. Or maybe you've been in a large family where you have multiple siblings and you were not the favorite one. <laughs> you know, little Timmy, he's great. Look at him. He, he made a popcorn art piece. He's awesome. Yeah, he started a business. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't know about y'all, but, you know, I don't know if you ever dealt with a situation like that. Or you may have been the favorite one by your parents. So this is kind of the situations. His brothers had all kind of hateration on Joseph. But Joseph had a dream to add insult to injury. Not only is he favored by his father among his brothers, Joseph has a dream. I don't want you to notice this dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen, y'all, I had this dream. Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. <laughs> oh, man. I wish I could see their faces when he tells this story. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told this to his father, he brings his father into one that favored him above others. As well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, your brothers, actually come and bow to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in hand. If we could read the rest of that. Verse 12. I'll just read it. But now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. And you kind of got to wonder, you know, if his dad setting them up. You know, that's one of the thoughts I was thinking. He said, this boy got too big for his britches. Literally sent him out there to his brothers. His brothers might rough him up a little bit, maybe. That's just my little thought. We don't see that in the text, but that's one midrash or Jewish reading of the story when you read that. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? 
They moved on from here, and the man answered, I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And so Joseph went uh, after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they had saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Man, this is serious. Here comes the dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Man, it's amazing how sometimes dream killers can be the closest people to you. Amazing how that turns out sometimes. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. We've got one brother with a conscience, right? And he says, let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said to this to rescue him from, from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers and they stripped him of his robe and the ornate robe uh, he was wearing and they took him and threw him into the cisterns, like, basically like a hole in the ground. Um, the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat, with, eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from, the, coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. And they were on their way to make them, um, take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, well, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come. Let us, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. All, after all, he is our brother. <laughs> we sure don't, don't like him. He's got the big head now. He's got dreams. He's favored by father. So at, at least we shouldn't kill him. Let's just sell him to slavery to total strangers. He is our brother, our flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, him, by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and told him, sold him for 70 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Amen. Sometimes things don't go as planned. I remember several years ago, um, Several years ago, in my previous life, <laughs> before I moved to Salisbury, before I met Tony and got back into ministry, several years ago, I was publishing books left and right, um, getting crazy speaking engagements. And it was crazy because I'm this boy from Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, who... Uh, all I had was an associate's degree, and it didn't make sense the places that I was getting into. I got a chance to speak at Yale Divinity School, and I remember I was in the, in the throes of uh, getting ready to publish something on my own. I was talking to three different publishers. One was a secular publisher, two was a, uh, a Christian publisher. It was like a memoir of my own life up to that point. Um, 
getting reports back like things I had written were making it into PhD programs around the country. People, people who have degrees farther away, farther than mine, studying stuff I had wrote. And so I thought I was the stuff, man. I thought I was going places. And so began to talk to publicists and try to get a publicist and, you know, get handlers and all the things you're supposed to do when you begin to develop a national platform, begin to develop all kinds of relationships with people all over the country, literally all over the world, to be honest. And so I never forget, I was getting ready to go speak at Princeton uh, University. And uh, the week before I was supposed to fly out, a significant relationship had fell apart in my life. And so I had plans. I had big dreams. Have you ever had big dreams and big plans? It's amazing how circumstances and situations can take the air out of your dreams. And this is what we see in Joseph's story. And I'm sure many of you have a similar uh, a history, a similar circumstance of things that you've went through. But in Joseph's story, what we see is this brother has been given a very powerful dream, a vision. And you probably, and one of the things about dreams and visions is when God begins to show us things, we begin to formulate in our own mind how this thing is going to play out. And so in my mind, I had, a, I had this idea of how things were going to play out in my own life. And I'm sure Joseph probably thinking, man, you know, man, I'm favorite. I'm going to take over the farm. <laughs> but what happens is he's sold into slavery and then sent to Egypt by his brothers. But what is that all about? So not only does Joseph get thrown into a hole, he literally hits rock bottom. Not only is he sold into slavery, when he enters into Egypt, he becomes a prisoner in the house of Pharaoh. And it is there that he begins to use his gift, even in the midst of these circumstances and challenges. And Joseph hit rock bottom. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, 28. This is going to be a nugget this morning. I'm giving you the abridged version of my, <laughs> of my notes. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. And you've all read this before. I think they've probably made gospel songs out of this verse. And I think they have. Romans 8, 28, Paul is exhorting the Christians. He says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things all things. And, you know, I'm going to be a literalist here when I read this part of the text. I think Paul meant all things. All of reality. He says, 
that all things work for the good. So I want you to still think, hold Joseph in your mind for a moment. I also want, to think of, want you to think about and visualize your own circumstances, your own challenges and things that may have disrupted your life. He says, all things have worked together for the good. All things have worked together. In the English, the Greek to the English, there is a word synergy. So Paul is talking about the synergy of all things that happen in our lives, the synergy of reality that is happening. All things, all reality works together for good. And what that word synergy means is that when all these things happen, if you think of Joseph's story for a moment, I can't wait to get to the end of the story, but the thing that's interesting is that him being betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a hole, sold into slavery, becoming a prisoner. When you think about your own life, when I think about my own life, when I experienced a great betrayal at a moment I thought God was going to elevate me to a place, I found out later that somehow that was in a part of the mix to make something different and better and good happen. That word works together means, the word synergy, it means to cooperate. It means to work together. It means to collaborate. Your dreams dying, your plans falling apart, God will use as a co-worker. <laughs> so next time something falls apart, you can just say, man, I got a new co-worker today in the cubicle next to me. That word synergy means the interaction of elements that when combined and collide produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements. Ray French from the book Organizational Behavior says, synergy is the creation of a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Barb Rettenbach says, a designed beauty of synergy is it serves only to add and never to subtract from something. So Paul says that all things work together, that all things uh, cooperate, that all things collaborate for the good. And the primary image is that of the good, he says. All things work together, synergizing, coming together, colliding, coming together to make something greater. And he says, why? For the good. And so when you read, begin to read the story of Joseph, you remember from vacation Bible school or Sunday school or just your own reading of the story, you know what begins to happen. Joseph begins to use his gifts in the court of Pharaoh, he begins to interpret dreams and he begins to be elevated to a position of power and influence over the house of, of, of Pharaoh. But then Paul says, for the good. 
And I love this because that word good there means a primary image is that of good soil or a soil that produces good fruit. It means literally good ground. So the imagery there for the good literally means good ground. The thing about good soil is that what? It is broken up. It is disrupted. If any soil is to become good, it must be disrupted and broken up and interrupted and broken into little pieces and put back together again. The thing about good soil is that it must be composted. When plans fail, when dreams die, they become the compost for the soil, for the soul, for the soil of our lives. When plans fail, when dreams die, when things fall apart, this becomes the compost of our souls. What is compost? That mixture of various decaying organic substances as dead leaves or manure used for fertilizing soil. Y'all know the, the popular phrase back in the day? Um, I can't say it because we're in church, but I'll give you the church Christianized version of it, the good PG version of it. Stuff happens. Y'all know the other one, right? Okay, good. <laughs> Stuff happens. Isn't that interesting? Manure. And the stuff that happens, God uses to make something more excellent. Dead dreams, failed plants, God will use that as compost, as stuff, as manure that will become the compost of your life. And what does compost, what is compost? It fertilizes the soil of your life. So all the stuff, all the terrible, all the betrayals, all the brokenness, all the things that have failed, uh, plans falling apart, dreams die, dreams killers in your life that seemingly have won, all of that begins to fertilize your life for good things. Good things. All things work for the good. So after being, for Joseph, after being thrown into a hole by his brother, sold into slavery, becoming a prisoner, um, and then God begins to slowly elevate him to a place of influence, God begins to use the compost of Joseph's life, the pain, the failure, the betrayal, the brokenness to make something great out of Joseph. And so what happens to Joseph? Let's turn to back to Genesis, but I want to go to Genesis 50. I want to read Joseph's 50, verse 15 through 21. And this is after everything has happened. And if you know the story, what happens is Joseph literally becomes little like a father to Pharaoh. And Joseph 
begins to at literally run the kingdom of Egypt in the story. And so what happens is a famine hits the land. And so Joseph knows this, and so he goes and calls for to take care of his, his family comes. Uh, they're looking for uh, sustenance, they're looking for resources. And at some point in the story, um, they come before uh, uh, Pharaoh, they come before Joseph. And, and you got to understand, all these years that Joseph has been in the compost, has been in the stuff of things happening and evolving and, and elevation and pain and suffering and imprisonment, in the process of all that, his father Jacob has suffered a broken heart. And his brothers, uh, and, and, and so the brothers, and, and, you know, they were trying to uh, take care of their family. And so they had to take them to look for resources because there was no resources left in the land. And so they brought them to Egypt and they had to stand in the court. So you can imagine the father does not know that uh, Joseph is alive. And the brothers don't know what happened to him. So you can imagine them being the mercy of Pharaoh in this court, and they see their brother standing in the place uh, next to Pharaoh, and they're probably shaking in their boots. And so what happens is Joseph literally has to reveal who he is. And so he reveals who he is, and I'm going to read this. When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead because their father had died, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. So that's kind of how the story ends, right? Joseph... As I began to look back in this story, I, was, I saw something that I had never seen before about Joseph's dream. If we could, let's go back to the dream. 37, I'm just going to read the dream. If you remember the first dream, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen to this dream I've had. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. 
his brothers got upset. Verse 9, then he had another dream, and he said it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. The thing about that dream that I found interesting is that the dream starts, the first dream starts where? In a field. Isn't that interesting? Right? And, and in a field is where, like we said, is where good things happen, where good soil is cultivated. This is the ground of cultivation. So even right now, if you're in a season of, of failed dreams or plans falling away, if you're in the field right now, I need you to understand that you are in a place right now where God is fertilizing your dreams. God is fertilizing your soul to take you to that another place, whatever that is. But then the second dream is this. He's no longer in the field. He's in the sky. Mm. He's no longer in the field now. He's been fertilized. The, the soil has been cultivated. Things have been ground up and composted. And notice that the other sheaves are with him. So the, even the dream killers, even the enemies of his own life are with him in the dream. They are part of the cultivation of his life. So you got haters in your life. You got situation and circumstances in your life. Guess what? They are there. They are there to help fertilize who you are. But then, the second dream, he goes to the sky, and he sees his mom and his dad and his brothers. They're like, uh, what does he say? He said, I had another dream, and, and this time, the sun and the moon, which is mother and his father, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And his brothers got mad, because they didn't understand the dream. But see, what his brothers missed was what? In the first dream, they were with him in the field. But see, what they missed was in the second dream, they were in the sky with him. <laughs> oh, boy. What does this mean? That means the betrayals in your life can only be beginnings. What does this mean? This means that the, 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 the things falling apart in the cultivation of soil of our souls is not just for us. At the end of the story, Joseph says that what you meant for harm, God used it for good so that this thing could happen. What's happening now? Many lives are being saved because of the harm that you brought to me. That's why I thank God for haters. That's why I thank God for circumstances that may happen in my life. I can look at them and say, oh my God, God is making something greater here that's even beyond me, beyond my own little ego, beyond my own little plans. God has a greater plan at work. Sometimes people can't seem to go from the field to the sky, though. Hmm. When plans fail, God can use it to make you excellent, but not for your own thing, not for self-aggrandizement, 
but to save other lives, to impact other lives. Now the thing is, there's a theology out there that a lot of people kind of gravitate towards. You know, it's kind of let go and let God kind of thing. And I kind of get it. You know, some things is, you know, man, God's got this, right? Uh, but when we say, you know, God is in control of everything, right? I don't know if that's really the case. I don't think God calls, causes everything that happens, right? You know, as I was reflecting on this word this week, I'm thinking about all the things that happened, even the story I told you about going, getting ready to go to Princeton, and I never made it to Princeton, by the way. I just, my whole life was turned upside down, and I quit writing. I quit doing a whole bunch of things, moved to another town, left all my friends, and I was embarrassed about what happened in that relationship, and it literally turned my life upside down, and I just want to live in a hole and just go to work. But some people, they'll tell that story this way. They'll say, well, see, Anthony, man, this had to happen for this to happen what's happening now. Y'all have heard this kind of thing before? And I've gotten to the place where stuff just happens. <laughs> I'm not really interested in why things happen really in my life right now. All I know is stuff just happened. And I don't really have a larger reason why it happened. But what Paul tells us, though, we may not know why it happened or for what reason that it happened, the purpose behind what it happening. What Paul says is that God will use it for good. That's different than God telling you why it happened. Even if God told me why it happened, it still wouldn't negate the fact that it happened. But God will use it regardless. Thank God for dreams that have died. Mm. I thank God for plans that have failed. And what do you do when these things happen? Is realize that it is the gift and grace of God that makes room for us. Not our plans. Mm. It is the gift of God. It is the grace of God in our lives that actually makes room, that expands the territory of our lives, that expands us. It is not our plans because our plans that we formulate are based upon limited knowledge. We don't have access to how the world works in its totality. Our understanding is limited. It is the gift and grace of God that makes room for us, not our plans. Yeah, we got to make plans, you know. Next week, we got to make plans. What time I'm going to get up. I won't say what I'm going to wear, but I typically don't decide what I'm going to wear before I walk out the door. So I don't really plan that well. Well, other people, you might iron your clothes the night before, crease them, have them ready to go. Right? We got to do those things, right? We got a budget. But then there's those big plans that we make. The thing that God is teaching us is, I believe, is that when plans fail, there has to be a realization that there's another greater plan at work. 
something far greater, something far beautiful, more beautiful than I can imagine. Like this past, I'm just going to share this. Um, y'all, man, we've been looking for a space, y'all, as a church, right? And, uh, man, we found this really cool space uh, right from off downtown. And it was like, and what the, what the owner wanted was like way less than what the space was worth. And it was like 6,000 square feet in warehouse and me and Dustin began to walk through it, man. And we were going to bring everybody else once, you know, we, the offer went through and, and we were like, you know, man, this is going to work, man. It had a whole side of the building where there'd be a whole kid's space, a whole kid zone over there and a beautiful worship space over here, man. It's like, it like one of those warehouses, but the dude, had, the owner of the place had fixed it up really good. So it had a really cool aesthetic to it. Y'all would have loved it. It was beautiful. Even smell cool. Cool has a smell, but it, it smelled cool. Parking was perfect, y'all. It was right off of Main Street, right on the edge of downtown. And we just began to dream, like, man, this could go here. We can do this. We can do community events. We can have uh, workshops. We can have community panels. And we can bring the community into this, have the youth in there, do that film school that we've been talking about, have the youth come in and learn how to do their own filming and making stories and tell their own stories. And we begin to just dream and, and have plans. And we think about, oh, man, the kids, man, they can walk in. This could be like a holy Disney world, man. They can walk in and, and just and be caught up in the very story of God and their imaginations expanded and their lives being expanded, become more of who God made them to be. And we can go into the story. We can go into the sanctuary and the people of God. We can, I can see a, a violin and cellos. I can see a symphony over to the right. My mind just go like that sometimes. And so we was like, man, we walked outside. We looked at each other like, bro, this is it. And so we had talked to our mentor, our church planning coach, uh, Pastor Matt Leroy in Chapel Hill. And we, man, we sent him pics. We sent him pics. And we were like, man, bro. And he was like, yeah, man, this is it. And we was like, man, we can't take, can't wait to take the rest of everybody else to shorten the space so they can dream with us. So we was all excited. And so the property manager, had, she had went out of town. I said, Justin, when she comes back, we're going to make that offer, man. It's going to be ours, y'all. So while she was gone, the owner took a deposit from somebody else. <laughs> Oh, man, my heart sunk. And see, mm, I'm just going to be real with y'all. It's probably why this sermon was tough to put together this week. And see, for me as a pastor, part of the reason why mm, uh, this, this is, that was so painful to me, and it may not seem much to you, but one of, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to get into this space is because I see how power, how 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 tired and how drained some of our people are when they, after church or before church, when they had to set this space up and how drained and how and just fatiguing and exhausting it is to every week, every Sunday to put all this stuff up and to take it down every Sunday after Sunday and after Sunday we get fatigued, we get tired. And then you have this, 
You walk into something that you see is beautiful and big, and I'm like, yo, all we got to do is walk in and turn the lights on. Can you imagine that? And I ain't going to lie. I was like, aside from all the big dreaming stuff that, that was in my heart, I was like, man, we ain't got to almost kill people to get the church set up on Sunday <laughs> But guess what? Plans fail. <laughs> dream sometimes. That dream didn't even come to existence. It, had, it didn't even have time to die. It didn't even make it out of the idea stage to come into reality to die. So it didn't really die. It just never came to resuscitation or to life. Not even resuscitation. But this week as I was reading the word, Paul says, mm, Paul says that all things work together for the good. The road blocks to get space to worship and to be an incubator of destiny and hope and power to transform this community. The road blocks to that. Uh, God will use it for compost. If it's some of you that are engaged in the setting up and breakdown of this space, I want to tell you that the pain and the exhaustion that you feel, the fatigue that you feel in your soul right now, I'm letting you know right now that God is using that as compost as a church to form and shape something in us. Maybe commitment. Maybe excellence. Maybe surrender to the mission of God. So I was encouraged that I began to prepare this word. I was like, God, you're just making good ground. It's going to be beautiful. Whatever it is, it's going to be beautiful. We may be in the field right now. <laughs> but I really believe at some point that we as a community, as a church, we will find ourselves one day without even noticing it, without even thinking about it, we'll just be in the sky. And by sky, I don't mean better than other churches. I don't mean that we'll be way up here and other people will be down here. But what I mean is more of who we're supposed to be. I don't necessarily mean more people or a mega church or anything like that, but what I'm talking about, more of who we're supposed to be. More transformation. More people mobilized for the good and for the love of their community. More people discipled and shaped. More people who discover who they are. More people who discover their gifts, find their gifts, and they are mobilized for the gospel, for the kingdom of God in this community. I believe we'll find ourselves in the sky. That's our sky. The youth being impacted. More politicians set straight. Amen. <laughs> More powerful people put in that place by the gospel for the good of the community. So I just thank God this week. I just thank God. Thank God for all of it. 
I just thank God for the grace that I can thank God right now. <laughs> Next week, I might not be thanking God. Next week, I might be like, man, this really sucks. <laughs> but I thank God for the good that's happening. I thank God for the good ground. Holy Father, God, we thank you for the good ground that you're cultivating in our lives. God, I thank you, oh God, that all things work for the good, that, that there is a synergy of the reality of our lives, that you are making compost, that you are fertilizing the soil of our lives, that, God, that you will even use the dream killers in our lives, the, the enemies of our plan, of the plan of God that you have for our lives. God, we thank you, oh God, for good soil, for good ground. God, we thank you for the field that we're in right now. And God, we thank you for the sky that you are taking us to. God, may you be glorified in all of these things. Whatever our circumstances may be, whatever has happened that meant harm or meant to uh, uh, distract us or meant to roadblock what we think is the plan, God. God, make it work for our good. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.